0: How are we doing guys it is fit food radio just welcome to another episode of fit food basically with myself keris marston and the ever so awesome dr tommy wood how are you doing my man
1: great i had completely we've been we've been trying to schedule this podcast for ages and either i postponed or you guys are busy and then i forgot that we were doing it and had to drag myself out of bed so <laughs> you
2: should have just stayed in bed be didn't yeah. you we should have stayed in bed. It was quite funny because we, we
0: were ready and waiting. And we was like, Tommy, are you there? He, yeah, and then i get like, a, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, just woken up. Give me two minutes. <laughs> and then he appears on the screen with probably the biggest mug of coffee I've ever seen in my life. I thought I was doing well with my mug of coffee. But yeah, his is actually the size of his head. So yeah, you beat me there, Tommy. Well done. Although this is my second one of the day. Oh,
1: man. Yeah. I'm working. I'll make another straight after this. If I if I have too much, then I talk really quickly, and everybody understand what I'm talking about. We can
0: always edit. It. We can slow it down, speed it up. <laughs> you know, whatever. Power of technology, it doesn't matter. And um, I listen
1: to all my podcasts. This is a tip from Chris Kelly. Actually, I listen to all my podcasts on one one point five speed, like so it's fifty percent faster.
2: Oh yeah. And now,
1: and and it took me ages to get used to it, but now you get through podcasts, you know, uh, two thirds the time of normal but also if i listen to a normal podcast at normal speed i'm like oh my god they're just talking <laughs> so slowly. Like, get it. i can
0: imagine you like waving your hand like you know, it's yeah yeah come, come on come on let us it out well I'll tell you what actually two questions i've got for you number one how many coffees do you drink a day tommy
1: didn't we cover this la- i think you asked me this last time it's somewhere it's usually between probably three and five cups but not all that big i was like, once I get to there, like a normal cup of coffee
2: all, all caffeinated no half caf decaf
1: uh, i do have decaf sometimes i will I'll, I'll just go by feel sometimes i'm like i've had a lot of caffeine recently but then actually i'll do something else so I'll often i'll have like some yerba mate some green tea i have this thing which is like it's like chocolate coffee it's basically just ground up coffee beans and you brew it in a in a cafeteria like you do with coffee if you expect it to taste like cocoa then it's not it's a bit. It just tastes like watery chocolate, but I quite like it actually. Oh, the co-
2: it's cocoa beans, not coffee beans.
1: Oh yeah, did I say coffee beans? Yeah. Yeah. It's basically you do the same thing with cocoa beans as you would do with coffee beans, and just brew it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's actually, and that's pretty good. Um, so they all have varying levels of caffeine, in it, so it just depends on how I feel. Do
0: you, do you find you drink less at the weekends or when you're not working or what?
1: No, I tend to, I drink more depending on. How sleep deprived I am. I was which saying, which, that
2: mug is like the size of
1: that. Which probably isn't that surprising because sometimes, you know, I'll have one coffee in the morning and then I'll just work through and be fine. And sometimes I'll really be dragging and the coffee, more coffee comes out.
2: So. The mug is the size of a sink, I have to say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey,
1: yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> you've you got to do
0: what you've got to do to get through the day sometimes.
2: What was your next question? Oh, the
0: other question was what podcast do you listen to other than Fit Food Radio, obviously? <laughs> I mean, yeah.
1: Fit food first, um, <laughs> obviously, uh, the Nourish ride podcast. Which what's, that, actually, what's that like? I've uh, heard some crazy. really bad things about that one, actually. <laughs> <laughs> they keep on having this British doctor on who just talks nonsense about
0: <laughs> carbs. Um, just thinks everyone yeah. should be shoving carbs out of their face and...
1: Uh, a really yeah, so that's that's a good one. um Sigma Nutrition Radio is pretty good, but uh,
0: yeah, I, like uh, I bet you have to uh, I bet you have to speed that one up, don't you? Yeah. With his like yeah. Irish accent like that, and then I was talking to this guy about these <laughs> carbohydrates, and then <laughs> he's not that bad. He's not that, that bad. I'm going to send him
1: that.
0: <laughs> that was actually a really bad Irish accent. I'm normally it quite wasn't. good. Uh,
2: okay, oh, it was good. It's better than uh, mine. <laughs>
1: So what else? Okay, so I, I often listen to Ben Greenfield podcast. Um, uh, if I apply bullshit filter on firmly beforehand,
2: um, <laughs>
1: that's, uh, same thing with Bulletproof Radio. So they both have some really good stuff on there, but you just sort of have to sift through it a little bit. Um, what else? Revolution Health Radio with Chris Presser. I really like uh, the Dr. Ruscio podcast. It's called something long, Functional Medicine, but just... Got- sure um, That probably covers most of it. I think that I listen to frequently. Sometimes I listen to the Rich Roll podcast. If nobody's heard of him, he has some good guests, but he's basically like a vegan endurance runner who thinks that everybody eats too much protein and doesn't eat enough kale. But I like to, I like to, um, I like to keep abreast of all the other things that don't necessarily line up exactly with my way of thinking. Just yeah. to sort of, you know make sure I'm not because um, all, all we do is we. You know, it's it's all confirmation bias. So you just listen to the stuff from the people who agree with you, who say the things that you agree with, and then you feel really good about everything you do. And then you miss out on all this other stuff, all this other good information, people doing good stuff who don't agree with you, but actually maybe you should be taking that into account as well. So I try to make sure I don't do that. That's a good chat, actually. It
2: is, because you can kind of, I think, you can always pick up when there's like bias there, but you can always take some of it on board and go, well, maybe I should be eating a bit more veg. Not necessarily be vegan, but I definitely should eat a bit more veg. That sort
1: of
0: stuff, don't you? Doing yeah. you are you looking at me like that, it, like that? Or...
2: it was a hint that you should eat more veg. <laughs> I <laughs> know, it was like that wig wig. We should ask you actually. On every podcast, they discuss what they had for breakfast. So we should probably ask you what you had for breakfast, Tommy.
1: Well, so far, it's a litre of coffee. Yeah. <laughs>
2: a <laughs> sink of coffee.
1: Yeah, yeah I, had, I had like a pint and a half of coffee, which had a really good going amount of um, double cream in it and a spoonful, like a tablespoon, of um, MCT oil.
2: Really? Nice. I was expecting eggs and bacon is your answer.
1: Oh, no. So, so then after, um, before, because I'm going to go into work and, and do some work today, but before I go, I will have uh, a, a couple of fried eggs, or six fried eggs. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I just, you know, when, when, like a hard, like when, when I consult uh, with, like, athletes, say, who are training 20 hours a week, and they tell me that a meal is two eggs. I'm like, what? So you're just not, and, you, and you, they're just not eating enough. Endurance athletes, particularly, just don't eat enough. So I'm going to have six eggs, a couple of avocados, and I have some smoked salmon, uh, smoked trout to get over that. So that's going to be all smoked
0: purpose. trout. Get you some middle class,
1: aren't you? your smoked <laughs> trout. It was on. It was on sale <laughs> in the in the shop. That's like below me in my block of flats. Shot. You know I stock up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Your freezers full. We will, well. Guess what I had for breakfast? This is quite
2: eggs poached in coffee.
1: <laughs> <It's> <laughs> not bad idea, though. You know, <laughs> you can do that. That's a um, that's like a tame, like a new version of putting with coffee like whiz in an egg yolk, egg they coffee. You actually makes it. I like creaming
2: Does it cook? Only I mean, cook though if you whizzed it in hot.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, but you have to. If you whiz it in, while you? Stick it, I mean, if, if you just plonk it in, you'll end up with scrambled eggs in your coffee. No, you, <laughs> <laughs> you it up. If you whisk it up, then it will just kind of. Emulsify into it, and you just have a bit creamy. I've never tried it, but I'm, I'm certain. We can give it a bash. But no, I actually had egg white. egg white will just curdle. Yeah, strong. of course, yeah.
0: That's yeah, just in the yolk. That could work though. It's like you know, you just like, you put like a. Um... That's a
2: decent breakfast on the go, though, isn't it? A couple of egg yolks in your coffee.
0: Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just trying. To, I'm trying to get my head round it because it does sound really weird. But, but I don't think I can, it tastes it, very eggy. Yeah, if it was blended up. Yeah. Like you said, it would just make it really creamy, I think.
1: Yeah, and I often put um, some turmeric, um, ginger, grate up some fresh ginger, uh, some cinnamon, or something in my coffee as well. So if you no, did right. that as well, then that might, if there was a slightly eggy taste, that would probably mask it. So,
2: Curry coffee? <laughs>
1: no, it's like a chai. Like, I guess it's like a chai. Get me
0: madras in there. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> the turmeric's not chai though, is it? That was it's quite uh, no, potent. That is quite,
1: but it, it's the turmeric doesn't really turmeric just has this kind of sort of earthy musky. Yeah, it's taste.
0: like an earthy woody yeah. taste, isn't it? No,
1: actually, you know what? It works really well, and it works really well with the um, with that cocoa coffee stuff. Turmeric and ginger and cinnamon, and it just kind of makes it a, like a lot. Just gives it like a richer flavour. It's nice. I can try see it. that working actually.
2: I'm going to give that a go.
0: But yeah, I had um, I had pork ribs for breakfast nice beautiful i just had a um, load of pork ribs that um we took out of the freezer because we were on the road and we were like "Oh, well, let's take it with us and we'll cook it at the other end i actually totally underestimated how many ribs there were there were about 25 of them um,
2: <laughs> even like fred Flintstone. <laughs> so i've just
0: been eating pork ribs left right <laughs> and center at the moment but it's oh, they're just
2: amazing hamish is like mesmerized by any me. time of day it just works
0: <laughs> like most people tell me you're eating pork ribs at like nine o'clock in the morning on a saturday but it works trust me um right should we get down to some educational stuff hey why not hey it's just been all about <laughs> us so far hasn't
2: it? <laughs> what's for dinner tommy yeah.
1: <laughs> i'm actually um seeing as you asked i'm slow cooking some um, ox cheeks nice. here on, on, on the stove right now oh, nice because they nice. they're you know they're full of all that um connective tissue and stuff and then they become really unctuous and yeah, it's actually quite
0: cool because you're. This, I think it's the first time we've spoken to you when you've actually been at home and not at work. Yeah. You, you've got a much more chilled, happy vibe about you um, <laughs> compared to when you're in the office just surrounded by filing cabinets and paperwork. Yeah, Although I've got funny. to ask, if you just like in, purposely just tidied the bit of room behind you that we can see, is the rest of your no, place actually, a, a shithole? I've tied,
1: I've, I've tidied, I had to tidy my, my table... Uh, my desk so that I could actually put my laptop on it um, but that all, all that stuff was, was as it came even including paleo primer right ah.
2: there
1: you can actually see that that's it you haven't got the title on, on, the, on the spine of number two so people can't see it, but that's number two there.
0: oh there's the spiral bound at least yeah. it stands out though yeah you know everyone would be like well, what's this book here the spiral bound oh <laughs> look at that we go
2: practical don't we
0: it's all about practicality want the book in the kitchen open all the time do
2: you think yeah. if, if, if you're on youtube i bet you people would zoom in you know and read your books that's like we get that a lot when we take pictures people zoom in and go what supplements can i see in the background what books are you reading?"
1: in oh, yeah, i'm okay with that i think they're all, they're all <laughs> <That's> right, <yeah. laughs>
2: just <So>. double checking <laughs> yeah
1: uh, I, I have uh, 50 shades of gray's on my Kindle, so <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're safe <laughs> Right, Tommy, so we, or you even, we had no role in this whatsoever. I don't know why I've done that. Um, wrote a blog recently about Quest Bars. <laughs> don't eat them, she said. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and oh, actually, we did contribute because we provided a recipe, yeah. a, a, a totally. food protein bar recipe to go with. So, of course, a lot of people like Quest Bars. We used to eat Quest Bars. Well, Kerry still, still does. Do. <laughs> I, I I actually stopped because I just felt that they they tasted really artificial. But
2: can I just say you do pick the most artificial ones, like cookie and cream, which is full of like extra stuff. Whereas I pick the cinnamon one, which is most natural of them all. I like to think it's whatever. just cinnamon and ground almonds yeah. and, no, and it's some not. fibre. You're playing
1: playing fast and loose with the word natural there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Cherry picking.
0: <laughs> 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 Tommy, why don't you tell us a bit more, um, for those that haven't read uh, the blog post, give us a bit more of a gist behind you know, why you wrote it and your reasons for advising against eating Quest Pass.
1: Yeah, so I guess, so this is on Breaking Muscle, it's, it's on the uh, website which you guys have written some stuff for, maybe done some recipes for. Yeah. Um, uh, the editor Chet is a good friend of ours um, who's just generally awesome bloke. Um, but I, I just suddenly got inspired to write this, this article. Um, what essentially is these sort of healthy protein bars, um, and now it's sort of like healthy fat bars that we've got from various areas of the community. So for like, say, the paleo and low-carb community, they've got their own version of bars that are, you know, kind of snack things for people to eat. And, you know, the ingredients and, and the, the sort of level of detail that goes into them is much better now than, say, the stuff that Maybe Matt and I were eating ten years ago uh, when when Matt was stealing protein bars from, from his first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so 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 they're better, and, and I do say I do say it in the in the article. They're not the worst things to eat, um, but I just think there's many better things that we could do. And, and, and the reason that I really got inspired to write this article, and and it's not just against Quest bars. I do mention Quest bars. You know, there's a few other out in the community sort of doing similar things. But the problem is, like, like I company, and they're making um, high-fat, low-carb protein bars for kids. I just I don't get it. I don't get it. You know, if if you're trying to – fit, so say, you know, you're part of a, a low-carb uh, lifestyle and, you know, you want to feed your kids that way, you know, fine. You know, these people are working hard to keep their kids healthy. I have no problem with that. But – Why, you know, you completely lose the connection that we're meant to be rebuilding with food by just saying, oh, you know, it's okay, you can eat these bars, you know, kids, because they're gluten-free and they're low in carbs, and that just, it doesn't make any sense to me. You know, why not make, you know, if you want to make some kind of protein-based, high-fat snack, which tastes nice because you want to treat your kids, fine, but, you know, make it yourselves, you know, so that's why I asked you guys to make a recipe, because you can do it at home, and it takes 15 minutes, it's a lot cheaper. You don't have, you know, you don't, you can choose whether you want to use artificial sweeteners to keep the, you know, the sugar content low. And you actually engage your kids in the food making process. You know, you teach it, you know, it's uh, no hot stoves necessarily. You know, you can kind of, you know, teach your kids how to cook, you know, get them back into this and get them connected with their food again. So I just, you know, if adults are in a real bind and they want to have something in their bag, just in case, you know, (laughs) find best buyers and the worst thing in the world do say that in the article but like don't feed your kids that stuff come on like and I, I, I know i know that people can do better and it doesn't even take a lot of time or money to do it so that's that's kind of how i felt that's kind of how i felt about it that's why i wanted to write about it and and, and so so you guys gave me a great recipe um which which i've had some really good uh, feedback on people really liked it um i think it, it's got some had some orange essence in it somebody tried dried it with mint and really liked it as well and then my other options were so my favorite option for gym protein snack is tin mackerel in tomato sauce you know lots of omega-3s loads of protein if you got the mackerel sardines it might come with some skin and bones you know you get some of that collagen and good stuff and it, it, it tastes really good if you want more carbs have a banana if you want more fat have an avo- avocado all of that stuff's portable so I just kind I of I've
0: got a feeling there uh, you might be on your own with that one there Tommy
2: see no no I have to say <laughs> so that has always been I've always said to you my go-to snack is always fish tin fish because it's like you said it's tasty and it kind of fills you up for hours if you really need it. I was you know,
0: more referring to the, uh, I can't imagine, what? I can imagine a lot of people kind of like pulling a face at listening to that. See, like, oh
2: see, there is a stigma as well, I have to say, about like eating something like that in an office or yeah, um, yeah. basically even in public. But one of my um, friends who went into kind of bodybuilding, I remember she just started eating it in the gym changing rooms one day and she'd always have her sardines and mackerel afterwards and like, you know, she looked amazing. She was really fit, really healthy, and she did not give a stuff. She was like, "I'm putting some good stuff in my body." If you've got a problem with the smell, that's your problem, and that's how you kind of mm. need to be, don't you? But what I was—it doesn't good-
1: even—it doesn't like—it really doesn't even <laughs> smell that fishy. Yeah, if you leave the tin lying in the bin in your in a group office, then you know maybe that's a bit antisocial. But I always just take the tin, rinse it out under the tap, you know, get rid of all the stuff, and then stick it in the bin, and nobody notices, Um but-
2: I used to get loads of stick when I was in an office, but that was because generally they were always watching what I was eating and ready to pounce on me about the fact it looked like either bird food or stank or, you know, <laughs> just because it wasn't basically a sandwich like they had. So mm. what I was going to say to you is there is kind of, <laughs> I said, when I emailed you about Quest bars, I said it is on nearly every woman's food diary that I see now. It, and like it's become kind of, oh, it's a healthy snack and it's low carb. And a lot of women are kind of a bit carb phobic nowadays. I was saying to Matt, I struggle with it because I really just like having a snack bar and that's kind of a habit I've had for about 10 years, I'd say. And it's, there's, a, there's
0: a great one on the Fit Food website. Yeah. Should, uh, <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> give that a try. And
2: I do normally make my own, but when we're travelling, like we travel quite a bit with work, it just becomes easier to grab a few of them and stick them in the car. So in terms yeah. of the ingredients, do you think there's anything in there that's probably kind of doing you any harm? Is is
1: if you, Yeah, so if it's a uh, you're trying to get me to justify your quest bar,
2: Absolutely. It?
1: I know how this works. Yeah, so it's, like I said, it's, it's not the worst thing. You know, if you can, you know, so the main sweetener is erythritol, which as artificial sweeteners go, we think it's the one that's uh, just directly absorbed and excreted from the body without really doing much else uh, to it. It's probably not really metabolized by the gut microbiome. It probably doesn't have any sort of um, calories to it. Um it doesn't as far as we know break down to sort of nasty metabolites. So, you know, it's probably the best the best of the bunch. Like and so then so then so I've got one up here where we've got So like a protein blend with uh, whey protein, milk protein, fine, some kind of chocolate stuff, some less thin, you know, there's there's, a, there's some thoughts that maybe emulsifiers, like less thin a kind of altering the gut microbiome, altering gut gut permeability. Um Although lecithin certainly isn't the worst one, uh, Polyxorbate 80 and carboxymethyl cellulose are probably worse. Um, and, and you might, if, if you, you could, it might be called like a cellulose pl- polymer or something like that. So they're probably worse in terms of gut permeability and, and gut microbiome. Um, so they're not the worst thing in the world. I just, I'll tell you what, to me, it tastes like licking the inside of a chemistry set. <laughs> like, they just taste so artificial. Um, I've... I just, I don't know how people eat them. Do you so, ask, ask please ask them. don't be, nobody be offended. If you really like Quest Bars, you know, have at it. But I, I think they're horrible. <laughs> do, do you not think
0: <laughs> Even
2: cinnamon roll. I, cinnamon roll. Cinnamon
0: roll. To be fair, I mean, I, <laughs> I used to enjoy them. Well, I used to enjoy some of them.
2: Then you ate a whole box uh, in one go. Not
0: quite. <laughs> not quite. Not far off. And then, and then uh, all of a sudden I just said to you one day, didn't I? I was like, God, these just taste really artificial to me. Uh, don't get me wrong you know i i i have my fair share of treats that are processed to the absolute rafters yeah no no and, and I,
1: and I should point out that I, you know i do and have done as well i'm not like sitting on my high yeah. horse telling they, they shouldn't eat processed stuff because you know i, I do and i you know I, I feel like i'm well informed while i do it so that's fine but i just for that, that particular one I just...
0: but do you not find that because for me if you was to actually compare you know the the Ingredients and the level of processing in a protein bar compared to that of just your everyday chocolate bar, Snickers, whatever. Aside from the protein content, they're, they're not, not they're not, not too dissimilar. Cheese, yeah. And and I'm always a bit like, well, you know, people seem seem to assume that something's healthier just because it's high in protein. Yeah. And and I think that's probably where it does start to go a bit wrong because it's a bit like, yes, it's a protein bar, but if you are kind of like getting one or two of them down you every single day with the assumption that, you know, it's always super duper healthy because it's got 30 grams of protein in or whatever.
2: But also when it's got the protein in, people see it as a meal replacement bar and it becomes kind of easy to not think and just go, well, I just have that. And I see like a lot of Mm. um, female clients who are hairdressers or busy who are just like, they'll just live on shakes and bars because that's kind of, again, the history of dieting and meal replacement stuff
0: so but for me it also starts to work out quite expensive oh, i know I imagine you know what i mean because they're, they're, well,
1: incredi- they're incredibly expensive
0: yeah and and to be fair as well like i would never have a quest bar and be done with it it's normally i i was <laughs> i was having my lunch then having a quest bar it was almost like a little mini dessert yeah so it was always a as an as well as type of thing as opposed to instead of you know
2: what i a tin of mac,
0: tin of mac will cost 60p i
2: know Just i know
0: bargain so, And, you know, tastes so much better than a Quest bar. What I loved, actually,
2: (laughs) (laughs) what I loved in your blog, Tommy, as well, was when you mentioned kind of um, with Tin Fish, people going about things like BPA and the lining of the tin. And I remember when we first wrote, wrote our book, we got a lot of emails about this and people were going... You've recommended uh, fish in oil, and I've heard that that leaches BPAs more from the tin, and same with tomatoes, even worse if it's in a tomato sauce. And I was kind of reading and thinking, are you telling me that everything else in your life is BPA-free? And you've yeah. got, kind of said these Quest Bars are all in plastic wrappers, and you know people go, like to go kind of crazy detail about some stuff, but again, they're cherry-picking what, yeah. what kind of BPAs they have and what they don't.
1: <laughs> people yeah, love to and cherry-pick. Th- and that's, you should definitely, definitely reduce your exposure to those plastic six microwave stuff in plastic don't you know I got rid of my plastic kettle because I basically every time I made a coffee I was just boiling water in plastic um you know so there there are, there are definitely places that, that you can remove that and, and you should but if you're telling me that you don't eat tin fish because of the BPA but then you're smashing back loads of quest bars um I'm sorry like or, or like a ha- high fat bar is going to sit in its plastic wrapper all day and leach BPA out of, the, out of the plastic wrapper even if it says it's BPA free you know, there are loads of very similar compounds that have very similar, very similar effects. So even a BPA-free water bottle, if I doesn't have BPA, doesn't have BPA, but it has BPC and BPO and BPS, and all those things are very similar. They have the same effect. But you can say it's BPA-free, but actually it's probably not that much better anyway. So, good shout.
2: Yeah. Good
0: shout. Um, and what
2: about our bars? And no, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Excellent. She's addicted, Tommy. No, no. <laughs> I'm telling you,
2: our bars are British Crest bars, aren't they? Are they Br- They are British. Aren't I don't they?
0: know. It's the de- same thing. They're but- another protein bar. Yeah. That's got a good chunk of dietary fiber in them. Yeah. And a lot of protein.
2: Yeah. Moving on. What's next?
0: You feel sad? I can tell.
2: No, no, I don't. I don't. You're
0: like I'm going to have to start eating less of them. <laughs>
2: i actually didn't buy any in january i didn't have any it's only when we're moving about and you're kind it's of relying March.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what's yeah. that got to do with anything no I there's, actually... a whole, there's a whole box in the kitchen
2: <laughs> no there's not i've eaten them
0: well <laughs> <laughs> the box is still there with a few bars in
2: no i stopped eating them for january and then i was like i do quite miss them i do quite like having them i quite enjoy the taste of them and i have them occasionally as a snack bar but i'm not like you i don't eat three or four I don't tend to eat them every day, so well, I don't
0: eat three or four in a no, day. No, but you
2: did when we had them, and you said, "Move the cookies and cream out oh, of view." You. Trying to make
0: yourself feel better. Aren't you?
2: <laughs> Shut up. Right, moving on. Do you know what's quite
0: funny though is what Keris will sometimes do is eat three quarters of an R bar and then just leave a little bit. And I think she it kind of comforts her to think, "Well, I didn't eat a whole one. That was very good of me. I didn't eat a whole one." It's like well, you've left like one fifth of the bar. Yeah. So you kind of have, really.
2: No, I eat half sometimes because no, I don't, don't actually feel. It's just honestly, it's it's a it's just years and years of having. I'll just have a little snack bar.
0: Right.
2: It's kind of like a dessert for me sometimes. Cool. Well, they're not that bad. <laughs> they're
0: not that bad in the grand scheme of things. Don't not, worry. Don't not worry. Compared
2: to the bag of peanut M and Ms he smashed on Wednesday, whole oh, family size. Oh, bags. it's one of those podcasts. <laughs> isn't it?
0: That's just, you know, okay. <laughs> should I
1: just, should I just leave you guys to it? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> she is right though. I did. It, it was a
2: and then he goes i feel really
0: fat (laughs) i didn't say i feel fat i just said i feel pretty horrendous (laughs) because i had an almighty sugar crash because it wasn't even a small bag of m&ms it It was a family pack it it? was the big family pack and i absolutely scoffed a lot but what can you do it is what it is it's in the past (laughs) i'm I'm over it (laughs) so tommy um last time was it the last time, or was it the time before we spoke about kind of um, pre-post workout, um, which everybody loves. Everyone loves a bit of info and talk on pre and post workout. And we spoke about caffeine, creatine, um, beta-alanine a little bit. Um, a lot of the, a, a big question we get a hell of a lot is the kind of classic fasted, fasted versus fed training. You know, should I eat before a workout? Should I not? Some people are adamant they can't physically trained if they don't have something to eat others obviously buy into the fact that if they eat then it switches off any fat burning potential that they might have had
2: and some people feel uncomfortable when they eat it repeats on them and Mm. they kind of don't enjoy their workouts as much as well so
0: what's the what's the score with dr tommy wood
1: yeah so i kind of feel like we did we did touch upon this a little bit last time the the interesting thing is that there's probably a study to that you could use to support any variation of all those mm. things that you mentioned so um that i think it's worth the first thing i think is worth going over again is something um i think you had you had an article that you're going to talk about in a bit matt about carbs pre-workout but basically what, what what we see often is that we're told that to do something or other either eat before eat carbs before not before protein during and and the things what they what they say is that doing this increases muscle protein synthesis or doing this increases fat oxidation. And so muscle protein synthesis is kind of used as a marker. You can, you can measure it. You do a muscle biopsy. You look at various things, biochemical pathways, looking at how you synthesize new protein in muscle. And that's kind of used as a surrogate marker of building muscle, which is what people want to do. You know, they want to increase their lean mass and decrease their, increase their their fat mass right that's kind of when we're improving body composition that's that's what we're trying to do muscle protein synthesis in studies does not directly correlate to muscle gain and fatty acid oxidation which will say so there'll be a study which says that if you do fasted training say it will increase your fatty acid oxidation so increase your fat burning during uh the session and maybe during the day later and some studies show the opposite that if you eat carbs before training you might get more yes, acid oxidate um, over the whole day. And the problem is that, again, just because you're burning fat or more of your energy is coming from fat at a certain point of the day does not mean that you are losing fat from your body. Um, those two just don't really correlate, and that, you know, that will be completely changed by what you eat during the day, everything else you do during the day. Um, so just saying that the guys who did this burned more fat Yes, maybe more of their energy proportionally came from fat during that period of time, but that does not mean that that fat came from their thighs and they are losing fat. The, the two don't line up. So often when we're hearing this stuff, say, from the research, being misinterpreted and yeah. being over overanalyzed, really, because you can measure fat, fatty acid oxidation in a very short term. You can measure muscle process synthesis in the short term. But uh, so I can make you do something, make you have protein after your workout, look at muscle protein synthesis, see that it goes up, and then I never have to see you again uh, in terms of a study. That's very different from making you do the same thing day in, day out for 12 weeks and then measuring your muscle mass at the end. That's a much more expensive, much more difficult study to do. So that's the reason why we don't see as many of those kinds of things because testing biochemistry in the very short term is a lot easier and cheaper than doing a long-term, you know, really rigorous study where you actually make people do stuff you
2: know, continuously again and again. Do you think, I was going to say, I'm sure we concluded this last time, but do you think it's kind of overthought what we're doing pre and post-workout? If you think of what you've just said, so many other factors influence and we can't really test those, but like sleep, stress management, what you're eating for the other, I don't know, four or five meals outside of that post-workout mm. window, how many meals you have. Like, do you think you're never, we're never really going to have a conclusive answer on this? when if It's so unique and so individual.
1: Do you know what? Whatever, literally, whatever you need to eat or do to make sure you feel best and train best in the gym, I think is just is going to be by far the best thing to do. So, so you know, we see studies where they say that eating carbs before a workout maybe improves fatty acid acid oxidation over the whole day. Uh, We see some studies that say the opposite. You know, uh, restricting carbs or in a fasted state, you know, you see beneficial adaptations. And, And I. I do tend to believe that there are benefits to something like fasted training or um, there was one study which actually did quite a good job um, where they did something they looked at a, a train low strategy which was basically they did they cycled their carbohydrate intake so that two or three days of the week they do a high intensity workout in the afternoon not eat any carbs for the rest of the day and then train again the next morning so there are no carbs between those two training sessions this was in endurance athletes um, and then they saw that those Trained in the in the carb low strategy, so they so they didn't eat, um, so they ate fewer carbs, but not like loads less. They just sort of cycled them in 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 line with their training, and those guys saw a slightly better improvement in there. I think they did a ten k ten k time trial at the end, and, and those guys compared to those who ate the same amount of carbs every meal every day. Um, so you can so cycling things can definitely have some benefits, but in reality. You can find something to support almost every every strategy. So whatever makes if you if you can't eat in the morning, don't try and force something down before you go to the gym. And similarly, if you can't you know just face getting to the gym without having something beforehand, then have something beforehand. You know, I just whatever works best for you, I I could probably find a study to support it. So Do you know I think that I, that tells you enough.
0: I, I think you're absolutely bang on the money, mate. Like because um, I was actually having this chat with someone the other day who is obsessed with like the finer details of pre-workout supplementation, intra-workout BCAAs and carbs and all of this. And I keep going back and saying like, look, if you want to have aminos during your workout, you know, I've read studies that say it makes no difference. I've read others that say it's amazing, you know, And but the truth is I have aminos during a workout. But purely because... Well, A, I'd really like the taste of my amino acids.
2: Sugar (laughs) junkie.
0: It's just really, you know, it's it's just, it's it's a nice tasting drink. And if anything, I probably stay a little bit more hydrated during a workout because I probably drink a little bit more water because it tastes nice. nice. (laughs) And also I'm a bit like, well, actually taking BCAAs during a workout isn't going to do you any harm. So you know, as to whether it's doing you any good or not, then I think that's more a a personal thing. If you if you feel that like happier having them, like you said, then by all means, crack on. It's probably not going to make a huge difference either way.
1: Yeah, you might get you might get a fractional fractional improvement, but you could undo that so easily with everything else you do during the day. Yeah, um, that I think on balance, you know the 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 whole day for the whole week whole month that's that's the important thing so yeah. you know if, if you'd like if you like that stuff during a workout by all means take it it probably is going to benefit you some but then you also have to make sure you're doing all the other stuff and being consistent is the most
2: important. So it's funny because i remember when i first started training in my 20s there was no there's there's a bit of internet but there was no facebook there was i wasn't even into kind of the health and fitness industry so I remember running fasted at first and thinking, that feels quite good, quite comfortable. And then one day I was like, I wonder if I can run faster with breakfast, ate breakfast, got a stitch, felt terrible. Like, no, no, okay, like, fasted running works for me. But if I'm running at lunchtime, tried a protein-based breakfast. And I was like, mm, lacking in energy, tried a carb-based breakfast, ran brilliantly, loved it. And it's kind of those the experiments I used to run on myself and we're kind of losing that trust almost in our, you know, our intuition or like really obvious decisions or ways to kind of figure out what works for you and, and you go online now and I, even I got confused I was like oh so-and-so says I should never enter the gym without being you know kind of topped up with protein and yeah. I used to try and force chicken and protein shakes down me before going to the gym in the morning remember this and yeah. I'd be like oh god and I just hated it and my workout I was like this doesn't work for me at all um, and I went back to fasted before anyone had given me permission to do so but I <laughs> always felt better fasted training didn't I yeah this is what I'd always done so
0: but it is funny isn't it because I um someone who's quite well known in our industry actually who does put some really good stuff out there but equally there's a lot of stuff that he posts that i don't quite agree with because i'm a firm believer in there's not there's not as many absolutes when it comes to training and nutrition as people th- try and make out that it is you know they uh, i think it was a facebook or a twitter update whatever and they said if you want a surefire way to prevent yourself getting any gains in the gym than just training a fasted state which was basically obviously just saying if you're training fasted you will never get any results and i'm a bit well i've trained fasted for years and i have absolutely amazing workouts and i'm pretty certain i've got some pretty good gains over the years as well and like i said to you this guy's like quite well known quite well respected in the industry has a lot of influence so i can understand why people get confused So what would your view be on, say, because there's obviously training in a fasted state, i.e. because you train ridiculously early um, and you don't have time to kind of probably get up, make yourself some food, digest it properly and then train. What if you're somebody who um, tends to train around midday but still hasn't consumed any food, uh, you know, so fasted right up until lunchtime and then breaks their fast with their post-workout meal?
1: Yeah, um, so I I think one one place where this where this maybe sort of splits off slightly is is depending on whether people you know really want to you know gain a lot of mass you know if they want to get much bigger and stronger then i think you probably should be eating more frequently just from you know because eating is anabolic but for the long-term health effects maybe that's not always the best idea to be eating all the time i don't think it is um, if you're an endurance athlete, I think you can get some benefits from training in a fasted state because you get some some beneficial like, upregulation of mitochondrial function, and training in a glycogen depleted state can sort of augment that. And so, I think it would just depend maybe on your goals. Um, if you're um, just going for somebody who's trying to be healthier, you do a, you know, a little bit of running, you know, some um, HIT, some strength training. Um, then I think you could probably fit with more with what makes you feel good and what makes you you know work best in the gym. I have no problem with people being fasted until lunchtime and then and then training. The only, only issue I potentially see is that then that shortens the amount of time during the day that you have to eat. So yeah. over a long period of time, say you're doing that every day, you could put yourself in in a, in a severe calorie deficit, which is probably in the long term not going to be a good idea. So. If it's if it's a very regular thing and then you find you struggle to eat enough during the rest of the day, then maybe that's something you need to you need to reassess. But other than that, um, if you don't eat all morning and you feel good and you go to the gym and then you sort of eat in that sort of period afterwards between, say, you know, early afternoon and, and dinner time, you know, we'll do that and, and you know, also very happily put on mass, you know, lose lose some lose some fat. So
0: speaking of post workout. This these these are literally just coming to me as we're going with this contact. So <laughs> forgive me if like, they're a bit like oh but
2: <laughs> I can hear the cog.
0: <laughs> Tommy probably see like the deep thought in my face. Because obviously, and again, these are questions that we get a lot, and things I kind of see going back and forth, like on Facebook, social media, etc. And that's kind of differentiating like the the difference in post workout fuel based on the type of training stimulus that you've just done. So i.e. more endurance-based, longer duration, um, more, say, like hypertrophy, higher volume, compared to, say, that of, like, really low rep, heavyweight, strength-based training. Um, Obviously, some more glycogen-depleting than others, yet all incredibly demanding on the body. Would you say, then, would need to be much of a difference in the kind of, like, post-workout choices there?
1: I genuinely don't think it will make that much of a difference. Um, I, I think the most important thing for, like, General muscle recovery is um, that you get enough protein in the 24, 48, 72 hours after a, a heavy training session. Similarly, you can replenish without eating any carbs. You can replenish most of your muscle glycogen within a day or two. In reality, what what is really going to depend on is, is when you're next going to train and what you're next yeah. going to train. So, if you're going to if you're doing a double, say you're going to train in the morning, train again in the evening, then maybe you know, it's worth making sure you get enough protein, get enough carbohydrate. Um, but if you're not somebody who does that, then, then I, I, I don't really think it's, it's going to matter. Then it's going to matter too much.
0: No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I agree. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because I've always said, you know, like it's, in fact, Keris and I, um, we went on a lovely long walk in the hills this morning, didn't we? Yeah. And we had a good old wag about Like We don't talk about normal stuff where we're not normal we, you know we we don't talk about what should we where should, where should we go this evening what should we do for the day it's all talking about bloody macro splits pre-post workout etc but the big chat we were having this morning was saying how my god like has the industry got so damn complicated with it when it whether it's bloody training protocols pre and post workout you know the best kind of like like uh, macro splits for optimal body composition and it's just all just got so complicated and we were saying like it does not need to be like why the hell are people like adamant that it needs to be complicated in order to be successful
2: I think people like to feel proactive and like they're doing everything possible to get the best possible results so they read a lot then a lot of conflicting information comes their way they kind of try one thing and don't get results so they try something else but the really sad thing is they could be getting results but they're almost so overanalyzing everything they wouldn't even know if they were getting results does that make sense because they've almost yeah. lost sight of, of of what their body is and how it should look and you,
1: you know. know there are multiple there are multiple studies showing that the more restrictive you feel your lifestyle or diet is or you know the more you're worrying about your your diet for your body composition say the the worse you do so Almost the more you worry about it, the more you overanalyze it, the more you overthink it, you know, potentially the worse you end up doing. And because it's, that is another stressor, you know, on your body worrying about it that much. And yes, you can overanalyze um, everything that goes into your mouth, you know, down to the minute detail. And if you are Phil Heath and you're trying to, look, trying to win um, the Olympia, Mr. Olympia, fine, you know, he should probably do that. That is his job is literally to make sure he doesn't have a spare gram of fat on his body. Mm but also he would probably tell you that that's not the healthiest, you know, if he wanted to, if he wanted to live to be, you know, long and and healthy and and as healthy as possible for as long as possible, he'd probably admit that what he does isn't the best thing to do, but it's his job. He loves it. And I have a huge amount of respect for what he does. So you just have to, you just maybe part of it is accepting that you're not Bill Heath going for Mr. Olympia. And (laughs) and you you do a lot better just by, you know, looking after yourself a little bit more and, you know, Don't worry some, you know, we we should. a lot. Most people should think more about what they eat. The people who listen to your podcast could often do with thinking less about what they
2: eat. That was pretty much our conclusion today. We were saying, I think people like it because it's a distraction from maybe the fact that they're bored in their job or not in the right relationship or kind of a bit, I don't know, just just lacking some other stuff in their lives. So they're like, well, do you know what? I'll throw myself gung-ho into macros, training, whatever, and kind of just distract from that and it's
1: yeah it's a it's a control mechanism it's food is a very very easy control mechanism and i say this as somebody who has and i guess maybe it's like alcoholism you never get over i had an eating disorder i have an eating disorder i definitely was orthorexic a long time ago before and it it was it was called that back then but nobody really heard of it and it's a control mechanism it's because you feel out of control in some other area of your life and i understand it you know i It's something that I have dealt with a lot in my life and I completely understand where where people are coming from. In reality, it stops you having to deal with some of those other things. Like, are you in the right job? Are you in in the right relationship? You know, are there other things you should maybe be doing to look after yourself, which which you're neglecting because you're worrying about what you're eating so much?
0: Keep it simple. (laughs) Move daily, good scoff most of the time. The occasional quest bar.
2: (laughs) Half a quest bar.
0: (laughs) You'll be be all right. But I think that's the difference though, isn't it? Because, um, you know, a lot of media, um, because I was the classic, you know, when I started training, it was all about Flex magazine, Muscle and Development, all the bodybuilding magazines that are full of these pro bodybuilders who, let's be honest, are all assisted athletes. So it's like normal kids like myself, you know, teenager, are trying to base the stuff that that i'm doing on what they're doing both training and nutritionally and you know these are assisted athletes you know and it's just a whole completely different ball game in terms of like the way you train the way you eat the way you recover and i think that whilst it's obviously it's obvious it's kind of never mentioned yeah you know what i mean and it's like, like do, you
1: ever, do you ever try doing uh you know arnold's leg routine or something i tell you yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I, I, mean, I survived. I think I tried that once. I, I'm pretty sure I nearly died. <laughs> and and there's a reason why. You know, I mean, he's just obviously he what you know he he took steroids. He, he's he's talked about that in in and out. But yeah. also, he's a phenomenally gifted human being yeah. genetically. And if you try and emulate that, that's not going to get you the best results.
0: <laughs> be, be be prepared to take a week off work afterwards because yeah. you won't physically be able to get up out of bed.
1: But do you know what, be, prepared, I, I, be prepared for your urine to go a funny brown colour as your muscles dissolve themselves. <laughs> <laughs>
2: nice. I was going to say, I don't think we've even seen the worst of this yet because can you imagine now with social media, like there's not a day when I don't see somebody telling me, you know, especially now video is so big on Facebook, like this is the routine I need to be doing every single day and I kind of was scrolling through and there was something sugar six pack yesterday and doing a million ab exercises in different ways. I kind of thought can't imagine seeing this as like an insecure teenager like it's hard enough now but you know when you kind of are under so much pressure to be doing everything right and I don't know I think it's well, gonna I'm, be a ticking time bomb the
0: thing is as well and I mean I know this is a bit of a, a randomly structured podcast here yeah. kind of there and everywhere but <laughs> I
2: bet everyone listening is, is kind of going maybe I should stop faffing around with pre but, post-workout my fitness
0: pal and stuff those. but the thing is it's like um I mean I read an article by Charles Poliquin actually a couple of years ago And I think he hit the nail on the head back then. And he said, you can't believe most of the things that you read in magazines or what people post on like social media from like a training and nutrition perspective, because most of them are full of shit. They, they've probably made their workout sound more intense because it makes them look impressive. And nutritionally, they're probably not as half as strict as they make out because if they let you know that, then they'd be seen as unhealthy and, you know, a poor role model. And I thought, do you know what? I bet it's so bloody true. I bet most people, when they put up their workouts, say that they lifted more than they said they did, done more sets than they actually did, done more reps, rested for longer than they actually said they did. And and it just gives that false impression because people are probably looking at it going, yeah, I've trained really hard this week. And then see a video of some guy who looks absolutely shredded. And he's like, well, actually, I done this. And it's 50% more than what they done. And they'd be like, oh, Right, so I'm not even kind of coming close, when actually, in fact, you you probably are. Does that make sense, or have I just... No, no, no. That makes sense. No, it makes sense. (laughs) Keep it real, people. Keep it real. But saying that, actually, you know, nowadays on Instagram, you put a video up of you doing some uh, cable chess flies, and it gets thousands of views and likes.
2: Is that you? Is that what you do? That's what I
0: do. I've noticed the trend. You know, here's me doing some cable chess flies.
2: 20,000 Oh, it's insane, isn't it?
0: And you're like, really? <laughs> but anyway, anyway.
2: Would it, would, did we have any other other things we were going to cover pre-post-workout?
0: I think that was main year, and we said we were just going to have a general...
2: Uh, the last one I was going to mention was kind of carbohydrate supplementation for endurance. So, again, lots of people who are using things like gels, uh, what their alternatives might be.
1: Yeah, so this is something that... <coughs> um, could, I, I did a podcast on carbs for endurance athletes with chris on the nourish balance podcast that people can go find that too we go into maybe more of the detail than i'll remember to to talk about now but so the the idea is if you're an endurance athlete then you want to be able to rely on your fat scores or fat burning for basically as long as for basically as long as possible um because when we talk about hitting the wall that's basically when you run out of glycogen and then you have to switch over to fat burning and if that's not something that you're really very good at then that becomes a really tough transition to make and you don't you don't perform as well as you could or should and if you're continuously banging down you know maltodextrin gels or um so we use like um carbohydrate combinations because then you absorb them a lot faster so like maltodextrin plus Fructose plus glucose, um, sort of like a mixed carbohydrate source, is, is, is absorbed better than, than any one source on its own. So they're kind of that's what people. Use
0: what, now why now. is that, mate?
1: Um, it's just, uh, because of the different transporters um, oh. up in in the gut. So you you basically because you have multiple different uh, carbohydrate transporters in the gut, you can use multiple different carbohydrate sources to get maximal uptake, uh, maximal rate of uptake. So and, and they and they have shown some they have shown some studies that if you're comparing say maltodextrin versus fructose versus maltodextrin plus fructose then the maltodextrin plus fructose group do better and that's probably because they're getting more more of those carbs in. So the, the problem is then that all of those studies are done with the assumption that you need large amounts of carbohydrates optimally during endurance exercise, which isn't really the case. Uh, but you but if you do a study where all your all your participants are used to slamming back of carbs, loads of, you know, Powerade and Leucozade and, you know, various gels, that, and, then, and then you don't let them do that, then there's, well, two-fold things. So their metabolism relies on it, and psychologically they, they think that they should yeah. be taking those carbohydrates in order to perform better. So if you, if you remove those, then, then obviously they're going to do less well. Um, if you look at, there's been some very recent studies, and, and um, Jeff Bolek and Steve Finney are the two guys, you know, basically revolutionized along with tim notes and um, the kind of the approach of um, endurance athletes and basically looking at how you can perform very well um, without any kind of carbohydrate intake um, but i think in the if you're performing a very long period of endurance exercise to so say marathon ultramarathon ironman something like that then you probably are going to benefit from some kind of carbohydrate turnout Part of the reason you need that is to basically keep – so we talk about the Krebs cycle, which is basically the cycle in the mitochondria that keeps your energy ticking over, essentially, uh, taking the energy um, in from um, whatever your energy source is, so fats or carbs or ketones, say, um, and, then, and then using that to uh, put electrons into the mitochondria to then generate ATP. And you need to kind of keep that cycle turning because that's what's, what's giving you energy, essentially problem is at the same time some of the intermediates in the Krebs cycle are being shuttled off to go into various synthetic pathways so you know making certain amino acids or making certain fats for membranes and things and your body does all of this stuff all the time so you you need something to kind of keep the Krebs cycle ticking over and if you're going to remove some intermediates then you need to add some back Um, and some a small amount of carbs um, or protein can do that just some amino acids or some glucose uh, can do that and at the same time might want to sort of keep your glycogen levels topped up at least you know sort of stop them dropping precipitously so your body doesn't feel like it's completely run out of energy um, so they kind of recommend that you could take a slow burning carbohydrate source and um, during that time period so that's that's uh where we they've come up with something called you can starch, which people maybe heard of which is basically a, a very fancily um crystallized uh, uh, cornstarch basically that is very resistant to digestion and it, and it digests much more slowly so has a much smaller impact on your blood glucose and your blood insulin levels which which the theory is that then that will if if your blood glucose and blood insulin levels don't move as much then you are still going to keep accessing your fat stores as your main source of energy, but you might get some of that uptake into muscles and sort of keep keep things ticking over so that's kind of um the theory is very good um, and, I, and I do believe that there will be some benefit there for people, particularly if they're doing, you know, very long um, uh, endurance pieces or, or races. The problem is that if you look, so there's there's one study where they compared multidextrin to UCAN um, as a as an energy source during a prolonged. Um, I think it was it was on the bike. I think it was two. I think it was a two hour usually two hours at 70% VO2 max. I think that's what it was. That's a very standard test. And they gave UCAN before or multidextrin before or afterwards. And what you see is that if you take them, you get a much smaller peak in blood glucose and a much smaller peak in insulin with the UCAN than you do with the multidextrin. And then they took it again afterwards and you see the same thing. The problem is that, very interestingly, that if you it, as soon as you start exercising within half an hour, maybe it's within 15 minutes, your blood glucose and your blood insulin will drop even if you took maltodextrin. So even though you get very high people and you're not exercising, those things come right back down during exercise. And during the exercise period, there wasn't really any difference between, between the two groups. Um, so... I think the, the theory is very nice, but if if they're trying to tell you that during exercise, taking something like a small amount of maltodextrin will dramatically raise your insulin levels, I don't think there's any evidence to suggest that because while you're exercising, um, any glucose that goes into the bloodstream will go directly into the muscles, so it won't have much of an effect on insulin, and actually aerobic exercise is very good at clearing insulin from the body. The muscles seem to help clear insulin out, so that will help bring your, your insulin levels down as well. So I don't think that People should be slamming, you know, you should be able to train yourself to a point where you can rely on body energy stores to perform um, most of your endurance exercise. And you can do that with periods of low carbohydrates. So I talked about the train low, you know, train low strategy, uh, maybe some faster training. Um, but, you know, small amounts of carbohydrate during uh, training are probably going to help some people also, particularly if they're, you know, sort of long term low carb. They'll maybe take some You can take exogenous ketones. You can take MCT oil. Um, and, and and maybe they would prefer to do that. But I think a small amount of either amino acids or glucose is gonna be necessary just to keep the Krebs cycle ticking over. Um and you can as a very expensive way to do that, but I'm not convinced that it, you, you have to do it that way. If you're gonna have very, very small amounts, then maybe you could you could you could have, you could use a slightly simpler carbohydrate source uh, and that would still do the job. Uh and the problem is that I don't I don't know. I just think that that study hasn't been done so that's just my kind of theory
2: so if someone kind of is out there at the moment relying on gels and um, actually probably in the UK <laughs> there's a massive um craze of cycling around cream tea shops and, and coffee shops isn't there and stopping for croissants and donuts and then doing it yeah. they'll do this all day long out I, in I Kent that's and the only didn't.
0: reason they do it yeah,
2: to be fair it's not a bad shout is it really <laughs>
0: yeah just going on a big 40 miler today so you can smash back free pastries at the other end I'd do it small sacrifice to make that
2: (laughs) but they wouldn't transition overnight so a lot of people ask us about if i want to go to a more they call it fat adapted training style would you kind of say maybe try a few more fasted sessions but where it's like an hour or like what would you advise people do it incrementally not just kind of stop eating sugar overnight and then just train as they would normally
1: so so you can you can do it either way so you could just like go low carb overnight you know, to help you transition, um, you can you can supplement things like MCT or, or exogenous ketones. That's a, like an that's an, ex, that's an expensive way to do it because those things can, that, that that stuff can add up in terms of cost. Um, or if we if we actually look at you know the real studies that compare this stuff in terms of performance, just some periods of say you don't have any carbohydrates one evening. And then maybe you're low carb for a day before your next session. And so you go 24, 36 hours without carbs and then you train and then you have some carbohydrates after that. That's kind of, that's kind of the way that I do it. And I, you know, cycle my carb intake on a day to day basis, just based on what I'm doing, how I'm feeling. Um, But it's something that you kind of have to figure out. I can't even promise that I always do it the best way, but that's sort of what I do. Um, and, and some, you know, fasted morning training sessions can definitely play into that. But again, um, there's just the risk that you end up under eating overall. So it's yeah. just, you have to you kind of just have to work, you have to figure that out by yourself. Um, and whatever works best for you. Some people need a graded approach. Some people need to just switch overnight and do it. And so it's completely, that, that's going to be a personal thing as well.
0: This might seem like a daft question. Probably is coming from me. Because obviously we work with people that do half marathons, marathons, uh, 10Ks, 5Ks, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I've only ever ran a half marathon is the biggest distance I've ever done. And for that, I, I took on no intra anything other than water. I just stayed hydrated and I made yeah. sure I had a good feed beforehand and a good feed after. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously whenever everyone's like, oh, I'm doing a half marathon, what do you advise to have on route?" And I say water, they're like, no, 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 I need, I need something. I need more blah, 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 blah. Yeah. When, at what point does it become, I suppose that's the best way to describe this. So say for example, uh, average Joe Blogs takes part in a marathon. Uh, they've done one before, and it took them five hours. They're yep. looking to beat their five-hour time, right? Even though it's taking them five hours, they're still probably giving it some and probably working at about eighty percent, 70 80 percent of their maximum effort, for argument's sake. Compared to say the likes of say like Mo Farah, who's doing a marathon in two hours. However, in terms of intensity. It's exactly the same. Would there how different would their requirements be from a in with a view that yes, one's taking three hours longer to do the race, but in terms of intensity, it's the same intensity for them as an individual, but it's obviously nearly three times the duration. I just,
1: yeah.
2: I just gathered what you're <laughs> no, I, do, you know, I get
1: really, what you're saying, yeah. It's a really good question. I don't I'm not certain. I have a really good answer for that's episode uh, Cause seventy-one. He's,
0: Brilliant.
2: He's still, yeah because they're still doing the equivalent of a, a major.
0: So the distance is same, event, yeah. but the intensity is obviously being maintained for a much longer duration. Well,
2: the it's it's the a bit, like a bit like a half Ironman for them, isn't it? Really, it's bit like a half Ironman for their body, even though it's yeah, only. Yeah, so air the air.
1: overall stress on the body yeah. is is probably much greater on your on your five-hour you know weekend warrior compared to. To Mo Farah, yeah. but even though he's running much faster, um, you know. So five hours at a time, I, I think for a half a half marathon, um, you can definitely very happily do it just on water. And I yeah. think that that's probably the, the best strategy. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and I've run a lot of half marathons, and I don't think I ever. I think I just drank water.
2: I did as uh, well. Actually, I'm um before as well.
1: And, and, and the most important thing, so the most important thing particularly if people are new to this uh, new to this kind of stuff is, is, is actually to not overthink it and, and go with how your body feels. So, so we have uh, there was a long period of time where and, and it still happens. we see people collapsing during um, long races, particularly if it's very hot um, because they've drunk too much water and you end up with oh, really? something called hyponatremia, you can end up um, having seizures and dying because your sodium is so low because you drank so much water because you're, like, so hot, and you need so much hydration, or well, I'm going to lose so much water that, that you know, this is how much I need to drink, and actually people overdo it. Um, and this is, this is a book called Waterlogged by Tim Noakes, and he was the guy that really sort of highlighted this. He's written a lot of papers on it as well. And actually what you see, interestingly, is that, I've done another podcast on this on the Nourish Balance Drive podcast about <laughs> hydration, um, where where I basically just tip all of Tim Noakes' work, so they should maybe just go to the source rather <laughs> than listen to me. Um, so basically, what you see is that in, in particularly in ultra endurance events, uh, the people who do the best, finish fastest, finish first, are the people who are the most dehydrated at the end. Really? Um oh, wow. and, and they, you know, they lose. You know, we, we're told that you lose ten percent, ten percent. It's something like you're told you lose five to ten percent of performance for every two percent body water you lose. It's something like that, right? These guys are like ten have lost ten to fifteen percent of their body weight by the end of the race from really? from sweating it all out. And actually, so the the most important strategy is just drink when you're thirsty. That's it. Yeah. Over don't over drink. And it's gonna be the same and I think it's gonna be the same thing when it comes to nutrition strategies. So I think you can definitely build yourself up to periods of, um, so if, if you train during periods of um, eating low-carbohydrate you know, low periods of fasted training, so maybe you go for a run for an hour and you, know, you don't eat anything beforehand or you didn't have any carbs the night before or something like that, then, then you're going to need exogenous energy at a much late, later stage of the race when you're actually racing because your body is going to mm. be much better at accessing You know, even people who have eight percent body fat have thousands and thousands of calories of fat available to them as an energy source. So you don't, you don't need that. You know, especially if you're running at a steady pace, you don't need glycogen to do that. You can very happily do do that off course, but you need to train your body to do that. Um, So I I think very similarly to to um, you can get to the point where you can listen to your body uh, like you would with your thirst. And I think then that will then that will. that will kind of help inform you in terms of your feeding strategy, but don't don't overthink it, and don't think that you need to drink so much Lucasade for every so much time you spend on the road. That um, I think there's any sort of peril lies that way if, if you're going to start over overthinking it that much. Would well, you yeah, know? No, in,
0: in all honesty, when I ran the Brighton half marathons, I actually didn't drink anything.
2: You had water in the morning.
0: And no, 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 no! I mean during the race. Oh yeah,
2: no, I didn't. Drink I didn't, in the I didn't race. drink
0: anything at all. Because it the...
2: compromised your time. Why would you stop and drink?
0: <laughs> well, no. That, well, to be fair, that, that was my thinking. But like Tommy just said, when I was running, yeah, um, there was not a point where I thought, God, I'm really thirsty.
2: No, I don't.
0: And I wasn't, I wasn't taking my time either. You know, like I mean, I'd done it in sub hour and a half. You know, it's a pretty decent pace. Um, you know, but but I just didn't genuinely feel. Thirsty. Maybe you know adrenaline yeah. played a huge role, but I never once felt compromised for not having any any fluid. You know,
2: I I used to have hardly any food or drink, mainly because I didn't want to use the toilets, the portalous at races. If you ever yeah. have you remember that well, oh I, I, well, god, I, it's like a festival toilet, like absolutely. Yeah,
0: but to be fair, when you're a bloke, you don't need to wait for a toilet, you no. know what I mean?
2: No, I mean... Any lab so post will do. So many people have, no, the other way around, like pre-race nerves, and you go oh, in there, and in, it was like, oh, nerve, oh... Oh, nerve,
0: nerve poop.
2: <laughs> yeah, basically. So not me, but I wouldn't want to go in there because everyone else had oh, been right. in there before you and done it, and it was like a festival portaloo. Horrible. <laughs> 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 anyway, we digress.
0: <laughs> yeah, on that note...
2: <laughs> One last thing I want to ask about kind of going for a more you know, fat adapted way of doing endurance training was Ben Greenfield said you need optimal levels of, I think it was B vitamins, magnesium and zinc. And he kind of recommended having organ meats. Um, basically if you're going to try and do, um, more kind of fat adapted training than using carbs, is that, do you think people need to kind of get, make sure their nutrient status is, is good or?
1: Yeah. So I think, uh, part of the reason, so one of the main reasons he's talking about that
2: well, I mean, he's more ketogenic i know but
1: yeah so, so 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 the problem that he and the problem is that many people get so he did he, he took past part he took part in the faster study uh, by finney and bolak like, and lots of other people were basically compared they basically just looked at muscle metabolism um, in long-term ketogenic athletes versus just athletes that eat normal mixed diets and they're 10 in each group and ben greenfield was one of the guys in the Ketogenic group. So he basically, for a year, followed the ketogenic diet whilst training for an Ironman. I think I think it was an Ironman. And what he found actually is that his um, thyroid function dropped and his testosterone production dropped. Um, and there's probably a lot of there's probably a number of reasons um, for that. And one of the fact one of them is is the combination of ketogenic diet plus a very very hard training mm-hmm. regimen um, can have some negative hormonal effects and, and should be mindful of that. Um, athletes are very susceptible to becoming um, zinc deficient, probably A, because they don't eat enough, and B, because they sweat it out or they lose it to the gut. Um, B, the vitamin is very, very important for almost, you know, uh, so uh, B6, uh, pyridoxal 5 phosphate, is pretty much a cofactor in every important enzymatic reaction, or not every, but a lot of them that you want your body uh, to perform properly. Um, Q10, other um, things you get from some very, very important for mitochondrial function. Um, so, I think, that's, I think that's where it's coming from. So supporting, and obviously if you become zinc deficient, then you become testosterone deficient. If you're a ketogenic diet, then um, you have to work much harder to hold on to minerals. So people might, might be more likely to become zinc deficient. They very easily become selenium deficient. Selenium, card, uh, selenium deficiency cardiomyopathy is, is a well-known side effect of long-term ketogenic diets. You don't have enough selenium um, sodium, and potassium, magnesium can become part of to, to, to keep on to just because insulin is, is part of regulating electrolytes and minerals within the body. Um, so you basically just pee them out, um, and that, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You just need to know that so that you take enough up in. Um, so I think that's where it's, that's where it's coming from. The, the combination of a long-term, very strict ketogenic diet plus very hard training can have some negative hormonal um, and nutritional bodies. So if you're going to do that. Which you know some people will do and will feel very good on and that's fine. You just need to be mindful of something you need to support your body.
0: Job done.
2: Yeah? Any more?
0: Good talk yeah. to you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Any more
2: questions? Awkward. Huh? Any more questions? I
0: reckon that's a wrap. We've yeah. gone over the hour. Yeah. Every episode we're like, we're gonna keep it under an hour, it never happens. Rob, our edit podcast editor is gonna be doing his nuts. It's like you lot <laughs>
2: It's all useful stuff. And we've covered so many oh, no, different I'm not, I'm not, aspects no. of training and nutrition.
0: Don't no. take everything so no. personally.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, what I mean is, in one podcast, I think we've covered a lot of. Uh, There's so many different ways that people will be training and trying to feel yeah, no, that training. That We've hit just about every member of our audience in some way,
0: I'd imagine.
1: I think so. Well, if we haven't, we can always do a part three. Yeah. <laughs> on and say, Tommy, what you said doesn't make any sense. Explain this, and I'll gladly do it.
2: I'm sure, no one is going to say that. I think we've,
0: uh... You always make sense, Tommy. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Well,
0: I mean, to be fair, I believe everything you say because, you know, like, you're just so damn clever. You could lie really well and i just believe you.
1: <laughs> it's all a massive ruse, people.
0: Awesome, mate. Well, listen, thank you so much, buddy. Um, go and make yourself another coffee. <laughs> a
2: have, bath this time. Of have coffee. a
0: great weekend. And uh, well, we will know that have you on again at some point, mate, very soon. Right, Yeah.
1: I hope awesome. you guys have a good weekend
0: too. cheers buddy well guys thank you for listening um, we'll see you over in episode number 71 as always if you did like the episode please 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 leave us a review and rate the podcast um, share it with anyone you think will benefit and if you've ever got any questions please get in touch because essentially that's what makes these uh, podcasts what they are because without any questions there'd be nothing we'd have nothing to talk about so keep them coming guys I'm sure
2: you'd find something oh, to I talk about I'd find something you are, you are
0: right I don't want to listen but i find something to talk about <laughs> so guys have an awesome day whatever you're doing and we'll see you in episode 71 see you later
2: bye bye